Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. All right, so let's let's get this started. Um, uh, I know it's cold out here, so thank you for bearing with us. This means this means a lot. So uh, the fact that you are out here, the fact that you are um, you are here to be in the Word, to be in community, um, it it shows very much. And so uh, if you're watching later, we we welcome you, whether you're watching online or not. But to be out here um, is it shows that you guys y'all have a lot of endurance. This is good, um, and we're excited to be here. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is my name is David. I'm the church planning resident, which means I've got this pretty sweet gig where I get to learn from Grace City. I get to learn from uh, the staff, and I get to learn from y'all uh, what it's like to start a church in the city, and specifically in the city of of Boston. And so it's this pretty sweet gig where we get to do church and we get to do life together in this, in this beautiful way with the hopes of doing it again in the city of Boston. So this is, uh, if you haven't met me or my wife, Christine, yet, um, we'd love to meet you. Uh, but more importantly, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the word today. And so you're going to notice that I'm going to stick really close to scripture and that's on purpose. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, purposefully right out of the word because I can talk all day. Like I could actually talk all day and we don't want that. But my words are like not even going to get past the parking lot. But the eternal word has timeless, always relevant, relevant lessons for us. And so uh, we're going to be really, really close to the word uh, because it has really way more important things to say to you than I do. And so, um, and so that is, that's the point today. Um, and we're out of the Old Testament. And I don't know how much you have studied, how much you have read out of the Old Testament. Um, but there's some differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially as you're reading it, you'll read some of those differences. Same God, but a little bit different ways of reading it. For instance, there is a lot of narrative. There is a lot of story in the Old Testament. And I don't know about you, but I love to tell. I love to hear stories. And so God is teaching us the lesson today as he is showing his character, as he is teaching us lessons through story. And specifically, we're talking about the story of Naaman. So if you have your QR code, our, our sermon notes are all there. We're not hiding anything. It's like all there. You're nearly looking at the same thing that I'm looking at. And we're in 2 Kings 5, looking at the story of, of Naaman. And before we get into that, I'm going to pray for us that this is God's sermon uh, and, not, and not our sermon. And then we will begin. So let's pray together. God, you're good. You are beautiful. And you have provided for us again and again, this is a beautiful day, a beautiful time to be in your word, learning from you. God, I pray that you help us focus with all these distractions and everything else going on. But God, I hope uh, that, that you help us to lock in on what you have for us. God, I pray that this sermon is not, is not mine, but anything that I say that is of me, that's selfish or self-centered, God, I pray that it just stinks. I pray that it just falls flat in front of everybody so that we know it's not of you. But God, anything that is of you, Anything that you have to say to us, let it pierce our hearts. Let it rattle around in our minds. Let it bother us that we may be forever changed. God, we do this only for you and your glory. And all God's people said, amen. 
Amen. So let's get into this story. Let's get into this, this scripture. Um, and the sermon today is organized, hopefully, so that you can follow it. There's a lot of verses here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of text here. So I don't want you to get lost. And so we've broken it up this way on purpose. We're going we're gonna to call it three scenes and a savior. Okay? Three scenes and a savior. So we're going to look at this in three different sections, three different scenes, and we're going to look at a savior. And you could take a guess at who that savior is, which starts with J and it, it ends with Jesus Christ. So that's our savior. And so three scenes. The first scene, we're going to look at an example of humility. Second scene, we're going to look at an example of healing. Third scene, we're, go- we're going to look at an example of missing it and then our savior. Okay. And I'm saying this fast. It's all in those notes. So if I miss it, that's okay. Cause just keep, you can follow along with those notes. So let's, let's read this text together and then we will get into scene one. All right, bear, me, bear with me, we're struggling today. So 2 Kings 5, starting in verse one, this is, this is scene one. We're looking for an example of humility. So right here, here we go. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in, told his Lord thus, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. He went taking a lot of money. Verse six, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. He is starting, he is trying to start conflict. Verse eight, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So there's a lot, there's a lot of text going on here. And so in scene one, remember, we're looking for an example of humility. And there's a lot of personalities, a lot of people going through this. And and I may refer to these people as personalities. I may refer to these people as characters, but never miss the fact that these were people. These were real people. We're not talking fictitious novels. We're talking, these were real people who experienced and who saw God. So don't get confused by those two words, personalities or character, but the personalities are, are pretty big in this story. The first one is our protagonist. We're going to be following him through this narrative and his name is Naaman. He is the Syrian commander in chief. Y'all, he may be the second most powerful man in all of the known world at this time. Syria was this empire. And he, and he was the one in charge of the military. 
So the only one above him is the king himself. And so he may have been the, the second most powerful man, but he has leprosy. The next, the next personality we see, and he kind of flies on by, is the Syrian king, and he sends Naaman to go be healed. The next personality we see, the third personality we see, is the Israelite king. And there is this tragic example in the middle of the Israelite king is that he is in the nation of Israel, the, the nation that God was so close to, the God, the God had tied himself to Israel. And again and again and again, God had shown himself to provide for Israel. He had shown himself to, to deliver Israel. He had performed miracles and delivered uh, Israel out of Egypt. And Israel remembers this. Israel knows this. And as soon as Naaman approaches the, the king of Israel, he starts to mourn. It's this sad, tragic example where he forgets how big his God is. He forgets how big our God is. But remember, we're looking for an example of humility. And it's right there. It's in your notes. You're, you, you've already beaten to it, but there's an example of humility. And don't miss this. It's right there, right there in, uh, in verse two, verses two and three. And it says, there is a little girl and Syria carried her off on one of their raids. So I want you to flush out this situation with me for a second. This little girl, is, she's, she's not an adult. She doesn't know all of the nuanced ways of how to live, how to speak. On top of that, she's an Israelite who is carried off on a raid. And so she is a servant. She is a, she is a slave. And on top of that, the one who conquered her nation, she is now serving his household. Do you see the situation she's in? Do you see that she is in this terrible, unfair situation? And yet she does what? She points her master. She points Naaman to where he can find healing. Now, I don't know about you. If I were in that situation, I would totally say, let him burn. Let him go. This is exactly where he's supposed to be. Leprosy is justice. He should be suffering from these things. And yet this little girl shows none of that. And she shows in this terrible situation, she shows humility, and she shows love, and she so shows grace. And so there is no doubt she is our example. She is our example of humility. And that brings us to our, our first lesson from scene one. It says this, God's people should be agents of healing no matter our situation. The servant girl was in a terrible situation and she was still a humble agent of healing. So good. So scene two, we're going to keep going. Um, scene two, we, we, keep, uh, we keep reading, so find that in your notes. And it says, it says this. Verse nine, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a message, messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. 
But Naaman was angry. Verse 11, Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leprosy and cure the leper. Are not Abana and far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. In a rage. Are you kidding me? Verse 13. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So Naaman went down dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Hallelujah. Y'all, what a miracle. The scene two's not done though. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Then he returns to the man of God, Naaman and all his company, and Naaman came and stood before Elisha, and Naaman said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. Verse 17, Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt sacrifices or offering to any God but the Lord. In this matter, May the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon, that's a, that's a pagan god. When my, when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. What a story. And so this is Naaman, this is our protagonist. So scene one, remember scene one, we were looking for an example. We were looking for an example of humility and we found the little girl. In scene two, we're looking for an example of healing. And you may say to me, David, we've seen the example of healing. He washed seven times. He was clean. That's not it. We're looking for something deeper. We're looking for something more profound. And so we're looking for this example of healing. But let's go back to the beginning of scene one. We're talking about being humbled, we're talking about being healed. And in the beginning of scene two, do you see how arrogant Naaman is? Do you see this guy? The first time he starts speaking, frankly, he sounds like a jerk. This guy is the worst. He shows up at Elisha's door with his entire parade. Whole entourage pulls up in front of the door and Elisha doesn't even answer the door. Can you imagine? Can you imagine any sort of government official showing up in the entire motorcade and you send your neighbor or you send somebody else to go answer the door? You're not even bothered to answer the door. And this is an attack on Naaman's arrogance. And then on top of that, he doesn't understand the command. The Damascus rivers are way cleaner. The Damascus rivers are way, are way nicer. Why do I have to go? wash and this dirty foreign river. And so we see Naaman's arrogance just shining through. Yet the servants humble him. Do you see this in verse 13? You see this in verse 13? It says his servants say, will you not do it? Has he not told you 
go wash, be clean, it makes me wonder where would Naaman be if his servants hadn't spoken to him? Don't get me wrong, God's will will be done. Don't get me wrong, but what a role, what a part in this story that these servants play. And they say, Master, are you not going to do what the prophet told you? And they humble Naaman and he washes and he, and he is clean. And so the, the lesson, the first lesson halfway through scene two says this, we more than anything else, we more than anything else inhibit ourselves the most from experiencing God. We more than anything else will inhibit ourselves from experiencing God. And we, we have all kinds of things we can blame it on. We can blame it on the cold weather. We can blame it on our situation, right? We can blame it on our past. We can blame it on the enemy as, if, as Satan is attacking us. And all these things are real. All these things do need to be dealt with. But most of the time, it is our own pride. Most of the time, it is our own sin. It is our own decisions that will get in our way in experiencing God. So scene two isn't done. We're still looking for an example of healing. We're still looking for an example of healing. And in verse 15, we get the profound healing. Yes, Naaman is bathed seven times and he comes up and he has skin healing. That's true. But in verse 15, we see something more profound. In verse 15, it says, I know that there is no God in all the earth except the God in Israel. So yeah, we saw his skin healed, but in verse 15, we see his soul healed. And this soul healing is way greater. This soul healing is way more profound than anything that could have happened skin deep. And so that is the, that is the healing that, that we are looking for. It, it, it's best explained like this. I'm gonna straight plagiarize an example that I've heard. This is, a, this is me absolutely ripping off a different pastor who has said it this way because I have never heard it explained as clearly before. So if, you're, if you are a student, this is plagiarism. This is straight plagiarism, except this is my, this is my citation right here. And so we, uh, the best way I can explain it is like this, is if I walked in, theoretically, I walked into work one day and I said to Brian, said, hey, Christine and I are worn out. Well, I, f I feel like I need some rest. Can I take a Friday off? Like, can I just be out of the office this Friday? And Brian answers me and he goes, yeah, David, Friday is fine. By the way, we also had an anonymous donation to the church. Uh, somebody dropped off a million dollar check for you in your name. Will you pick that up on your way out? But yeah, don't, don't worry about Friday. When I come home to Christine and she asks me about Friday, what am I gonna say? Babe, forget the Friday. Who cares about Friday? Friday matters nothing anymore because somebody dropped off this check and it changes so much about our lives. So that's just a small, really ridiculous example of the fact that Naaman went and he found skin healing, but something way bigger showed himself. He found soul healing when he found our Lord. And that is our example of healing. That's scene two. Scene three is the worst. Scene three is the worst. I, I missed a lesson though. The, the, last, the last part about, uh, um, the last part about scene two 
is that we see this command right at the end. It says, go in peace. Now I want you to notice that Naaman is struggling quite a bit with this Ramon thing. Naaman is struggling quite a bit in this area and he's not gonna stay in Israel to be surrounded by people who are studying the Torah. He's not gonna be staying in Israel to be going to the Israel temple and he's not going to be working and learning from other Israelites and other Jews about Yahweh. No, he's going back home where he is the only believer left. He's the only believer there. And so he has this struggle and he, and he is incredibly young in his faith. It's probably that day that he's asking all these questions and he comes to Elisha and he says, my master, he bows in the temple of Ramon and I, and I go with him. It's, it's a political thing and it's for my job, but I need, I need, I need pardon. I need to know that, that I'm not bowing to Ramon, that I know there's only one God in all the earth and that God is in Israel. And Elisha says, what? Go in peace. There are all kinds of things that want to weigh on you. There are all kinds of things that want to mess with your faith, that want to mess with your spiritual walk, that want to mess with your spiritual maturity and how you learn discipline and how you learn to love the Lord. You can let those things mess with you, but our command is go in peace. Amen? Go in peace. Naaman had the one thing right, the one thing that mattered. He knew that there was one God in all of the earth, and it was the God in Israel, our God. So that was a sidebar. Scene three. Scene three. We've seen an example of humility, which was, of course, our little girl. We've seen the example of, of healing, which was, which was Naaman. And now we are, we're going to look at an example of missing it. And scene three is the worst. Let's read it together. Scene three starts in, uh, starts in verse 19. It says this, when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, who's this guy? Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, see, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me to say that I've just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing, a bald-faced lie. And Naaman responds, verse 23, Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents, more money than you asked for. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand, put them in the house and he sent the servants away. He sent the men away and they departed. He went in stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. Are you kidding me? I, I'm sure everyone in here could have come up with a better answer, some sort of better excuse than your servant went nowhere. Come on. Verse 26, but he said to him, did not my heart go 
when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from the presence of lep, of he went out from his presence a leper, like snow. Scene three is the worst. If I had written the story, it would have ended with go in peace. And we would have called it a Sunday and we would have gone home, but I didn't write the story. And so it says Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, chased after Naaman. So we have this, we have an example of missing it. And y'all, it's so example. It's, it's so obvious. Who's our example? It's Gehazi. And, he, and he's missing it. But there's something worse about the fact that he missed it. The way he missed it is the worst part about it. You see, there is a history of servants, of prophets, who eventually become the next prophet. See, in the Old Testament, it's oftentimes that the servant of a prophet, the one who's constantly with the prophet and always serving the prophet who is serving God, there's a, there's a habit of that servant becoming a prophet. We saw that with Joshua, and that happened when Moses passed away, Joshua became the prophet. We saw that with Elisha, when Elijah passed away, Elisha became the prophet. Gehazi is at the feet of Elisha. He is closer to the mouthpiece of God in Israel than anybody else in the entire nation, and he misses it. It's tragic. He's so close, and yet he is so far. It's this terrible, terrible example. And uh, as we were looking through this text, and as I was studying this text, I I was bouncing this idea off of some others, and Haley, Haley told me this whole thing about Gehazi, it sounds exactly like the rich young ruler. If you don't know the rich young ruler, in Matthew 19, a man approaches Jesus and says, I have done everything of the commandments since I was a young boy. What else do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus sees his heart and says, one thing you lack, sell your possessions and come follow me. And the man leaves sorrowful because he has so much stuff. And he has a choice between Jesus and his heart is clinging to his stuff. So close to the Messiah, so close to Jesus himself. His miracles are obvious. His, he's kind and he's loving so close to Jesus and so far and he misses him. Gehazi, so close to God, so close to Elisha, and he misses him. So we have this, we have this lesson, the, last, the lesson in scene three, it says, being in close proximity to godly things does not guarantee that our souls have been humbled and healed by him. I wish scene three didn't even exist. I wish Gehazi didn't even happen, but the story ends like this on purpose. We can be so close 
and yet we can keep our hearts so far. Like the little girl, we need to be humble. Like Naaman, we need to be healed. And this last lesson may be where we need to spend the most time praying. God, I am, I am close and I am in the midst of all of this stuff. But God, let my heart run after you. Let my heart cling to you. Let me desire you more than any of this stuff. And we need to spend time there. I wish scene three didn't exist. I, I really do. Yet that is a prayer. As God's people, we need to be praying. So three, three scenes. We got through three scenes. An example of humility. An example of, of healing. An example of missing it. And now we're going to get to the ultimate example. Jesus. The ultimate example. And Naaman's story and Naaman's healing with Elisha and Jesus have so much in common. Okay, don't take my word for it. Look for it yourself, but it's, it's right here. There's so much that crosses over. Naaman, he was a leper. You know who was renowned for curing lepers? Jesus, that's Luke 17. There was a woman like Naaman, hears about this prophet. Maybe we can get healing from him. And this woman spends all these resources trying to heal her bleeding, and she can't. And as soon as she is in front of Jesus, she is humbled and she is healed. That's Mark 5. Jesus himself says, whoever humbles themselves like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18. And the little girl, a little child, and Naaman becomes and has the flesh like a little child. Whoever humbles themselves like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Gehazi even shows up in Jesus' life, but his name is Judas. And right there, right there, close to Jesus, Judas chooses stuff. And Judas chooses silver, ironically, just like Gehazi so close and he misses it. And we have this beautiful example of Jesus bringing humility and Jesus bringing healing. But don't miss this, y'all don't miss this. What Elisha, what Naaman could only point to, Jesus did everything himself. Elisha and Naaman could only point to God. Jesus himself was God. Jesus himself is God and came and showed us perfect humility. Y'all, if, if you don't hear anything, if you don't hear anything today, hear this. Jesus was the humility that we were missing. And he wore shame and he wore death on the cross that we deserved. And that humility brought our healing. So as we as we continue today, the band's gonna come up, they're gonna, they're gonna finish us out and we're gonna take the bread and the cup together. But Elisha and Naaman point to a greater story. They point to a story of Jesus, not a fiction story. They, they point to a story where Jesus himself was humbled so that we could 
receive soul healing, not skin healing, but soul healing. This is why we gather. This is why we take the bread and the cup, and this is why we worship, because our God is full of humility and healing and love.